Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, November 7th, 2018 edition, show number 254. We appreciate you joining us tonight. We have uh, on with us Douglas Hildebrand. He is the Weather Ready Nation Initiative leader, working with uh, NOAA. So uh, Douglas, also a North Carolina State uh, graduate, so uh, he's got some Carolina ties. So we're happy to have uh, Doug on tonight with us. We're going to talk about the Weather Ready Nation um, program and the ambassador program and just how uh, we work uh, with everyone trying to keep you safe during uh, adverse weather. So uh, looking forward to uh, tonight's program. This is a live broadcast. So if you do have any questions, uh, we'd love to have you interact with us. Uh, you can do that one of uh, many different ways. Uh, we are on Facebook Live. We're also streaming on Periscope and on our uh, YouTube page. And if you're listening to the audio version uh, of the podcast, we will let uh, Doug uh, send out his, uh, or you can get Doug's information towards the end of the show. Uh, we'll let him uh, kind of plug some promotional uh, stuff so you can get in contact with, uh, with Doug. So that is our show tonight. We are going to uh, do our interview first, and then uh, towards the end of the show, we're going to talk about uh, some of the severe weather that our uh, panelist Chris Jackson was able to chase in the uh, Mid-South and the Deep South over the past few days. We're also going to talk about the uh, cold Arctic outbreak and maybe even a little snow in some of the areas. So uh, stick around as we talk about the uh, upcoming weather towards the end of the show. But before we do that, uh, we do want to bring in Doug Hildebrand uh, with us. He is our guest tonight. So Doug, welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you. Uh, thanks uh, for uh, taking some time out with us tonight. Well, it's great to join you all. It's, uh, we're looking forward to it. So, Doug, uh, new guest on our show. So this is kind of our, our basic first question that we always ask every guest. And I'm sure you've got this question uh, numerous times before. But <laughs> how, did you, uh, how did you catch this weather bug that's got us all uh, so thrilled about uh, forecasting weather? So, uh, gosh, the, uh, you know, and I think it's really a popular grade, which is fourth grade. Uh, 19, oh, God, I'm going to be... Uh, dating myself, but 1983 in February, uh, living outside of Philadelphia. And for those who know their weather history, there is a, uh, there was a real big nor'easter blizzard, two feet of snow and being in fourth grade, it wasn't all that big. So it felt like it was a lot bigger and times had changed from the eighties to now we went to school that day and uh, the snow accumulated and I kept looking around like, when are we going to call? I got one hour off of school. We uh, got in the bus and I'm trekking from the bus stop to my, uh, my house. There was at least a foot of snow on the ground and uh, it was just awesome. And from there, uh, I always wanted to be a meteorologist. Went to college. Uh, at a small liberal arts school with no meteorology program and uh, which is a lot of uh, bad decisions there <laughs> in central Pennsylvania, no less, who suffered through four years of cloudy and cold weather. Uh, went down to University of South Florida for graduate school in geology, but my focus was on paleoclimates and how corals from the South Pacific uh, recorded sea surface temperatures. But I kept trugging along, took my uh, five or six calculus courses, all my prerequisites, um, went to NC State for my master's in meteorology without taking a single meteorology course, uh, sort of took my undergrad courses uh, concurrently, 
graduated, got a job with the National Weather Service, and I've been with the National Weather Service for almost 17 years. And so, uh, Doug, I think I'm reading through your bio that you sent us 2002 is when you joined the National Weather Service. So yep. uh, kind of talk to us about the different steps, the different offices, the different hats you've had to wear sure. uh, as, as you've worked with the Weather Service. And then maybe we can kind of talk about what you're doing now. So uh, my first entry level job was a surface analyst with what was then called the Hydrometeorological Prediction Center. And oddly enough, uh, my first year there, I went to the, the director at the time, Jim Hoke, and I said, you know, we've got to change the name of our center, Hydrometeorological. It's tough to say, it's tough to spell, and no one understands really what we do. And uh, I came up with a few options. One was uh, Weather Prediction Center, and, and uh, you know, the powers that be said, oh, you know, I think the, the forecast offices might uh, – might not love this name, uh, but here we are in 2018 and uh, we have the Weather Prediction Center. But I was a surface analyst, a great job uh, right out of grad school. Learned a lot more about meteorology, uh, operational meteorology. And uh, for two and a half years, kind of stuck out with the, uh, the shift work. Had my shares of midnights and Christmases uh, and decided, you know what? when I want to have a family and have, uh, have kids and so, sort of settle down, I really thought I need to get, uh, get to headquarters. So I got a job in the office of science and technology, uh, was talking ensembles and forecast uncertainty back in 2008, 10 years ago, sort of ahead of our time, but really at the infancy of where we're looking at, uh, probabilistic forecasts. And, uh, a, 2011, and this kind of will bridge nicely into Weather Ready Nation. 2011, I took a detail down to NOAA policy. So I worked for uh, Administrator Lubchenco and and uh, Dr. Kathy Sullivan down in in uh, downtown D.C. Was there for the earthquake uh, downtown and uh, had a great experience in 2011. My first day was the Japanese tsunami and got a great experience working on science policy issues and eventually made my way back to National Weather Service headquarters in the Office of Communications where uh, for the last four years, I've been working on Weather A Nation, the ambassador initiative, uh, social media, and communicating with uh, and, and partnering with our external partners. And uh, sorry, I was trying to unmute myself. And so as we go into the Weather Net Ready Nation program, I'll kind of talk about, you know, um, leading up to what's the need for, for the WRN, the, the ambassador program. Uh, I know you were just talking about communication. That's a huge thing now, meteorology. Uh, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we have to focus just so much on how we communicate as we do actually doing the forecast, you know. Uh, so, so communication, a, a huge thing in, in our enterprise. So kind of talk to us about what the, uh, what the, what the Weather Ready Nation program is and, and the ambassadors. Sure. So, you know, and I could talk forever on Weather Ready Nation. It, it, it really is an interesting uh, initiative. It's our flagship uh, strategic goal, strategic initiative, um, really since 2011. And, it, and it, its infancy started in 2011 with the Southeast tornado outbreak in Tuscaloosa, 
Mississippi, Alabama into, um, you know, Georgia. And that was a game changer, I think, in the weather enterprise, in weather forecasting, where here you have an event that is really well forecast, uh, really good lead times on our tornadoes, and over 300 people die. And it really was sort of a, a crossroads in our profession where the accuracy of that forecast doesn't mean as much if the societal impact on the other side is still really bad. And so we came up with this idea of building a weather ready nation. It was that missing piece of the equation. You take uh, constantly improving forecasts, you add the societal component, you add the partnership uh, and working together component, you add what we call decision support services to community decision makers, you add all of that up, you get action that you want, and then you get a result that you want. And so, you know, since 2011, it hasn't been perfect. It's been bumpy at times. You know, Hurricane Sandy came in. Um, you know, we've had a few uh, hiccups with, with blizzards and flooding, but more times than not, we're actually having good outcomes. Uh, the uh, tornadoes in, in the New Orleans area uh, recently really comes to mind where when those tornadoes hit, you know, a fairly dense metropolitan area to the west of, of downtown New Orleans, you know, everyone was like, how many fatalities we have? And there was zero, you know, people were taking action. And so we have these successes throughout the country, but it's, it's sort of a, a goal where, you know, there is no end. We can constantly be getting better to become weather ready and bringing in uh, organizations that can help us be weather ready. So how, you know, you're talking about the, the 2011 um, Southeast tornado outbreak up. We had some in North Carolina on April 16th and April yep. 27th uh, in the Alabama, um, Georgia area. Um, we had James Spin on a couple of years ago talking about that. And um, he talked about afterwards, mm -hmm. and I imagine maybe this is what you guys did too, so I want you to kind of talk on that. They, he actually went in where the affected areas and talked to those people to try to see what can we do better. And I imagine mm -hmm. that's probably uh, social science is probably playing a big role in what you guys do and, and how to get the right words out to the people to get them to prepare. Absolutely. And, and I actually was, was honored enough uh, the following February uh, to, to still see the, the, uh, the areas that were ravaged by the tornadoes in Tuscaloosa. And so I saw firsthand, you know, there were still flip flops on the, on the ground uh, in an apartment complex uh, from the previous uh, April. And so, you know, my boss, the director of the National Hurricane Center, he talks about, you know, going the last mile uh, of really bridging the gap between those forecasts, what actions we want people to take, getting the, the outreach and education on weather safety, uh, and having tough conversations with, you know, partners in our, in our weather enterprise, the TV media, how we communicate what people should be doing. You know, I heard stories uh, in Tuscaloosa where, um, you know, tragic story of, of, you know, a gentleman student at, uh, at Alabama was in a hardened brick, you know, college uh, building 
And when he heard the tornado, you know, saw the tornado and, and heard all the warnings and all the all the chaos, went back home because that was safe to him. And and he tragically died when when the wall of his home collapsed. You know, making those split second decisions, what is weather ready and what's putting you in absolute danger? And sometimes when you make those decisions, you're not realizing you're putting yourself in more danger by going one place than to another. And so to give that information out, um, you guys have come up with the ambassador program where, you know, a lot of folks get weather information from the TV side, you know, as Ricky was talking about, um, Shay, myself, uh, Chris and, and, and Jared, we have uh, internet based or, or social media based weather programs getting the information out. So how did the ambassador program come out and talk about that process and how it's really helped you guys out? So our mantra is government can't do all of this alone. Uh, and it takes all of you uh, who are joining here, all of your viewers. It takes communities to build community resilience. And so we created this ambassadors initiative. It was actually, uh, it was a hard question that one of our partners asked and we didn't have a good answer for, you know, he came up to us and said, we love this, you know, this thing called Weather Ready Nation. Uh, how can we be a part of it? And we kind of stared with, with a glassy eyed look and said, well, you know, yeah, we, we want you to be part of it. And so we went back to the drawing board and we came up with four things that we asked all ambassadors to do, you know, share uh, weather safety content, as you're looking on the screen there, we have a ton of infographics, social media posts, stories, um, you know, communication toolkits. We have content that we try to get to all different types of users. You know, it's not a one size fits all. You see there we have uh, campaigns for the deaf and hard of hearing, for learning disabled who need uh, visuals instead of text. Um, it really, we're trying to build a weather ready nation for all. And these ambassadors are able to help us reach more people and reach people in different ways. Uh, a quick example, the um, King County out in Seattle area, King County Public Health um, Organization is an ambassador and they, uh, they translate our weather information or weather safety information to 10 or 15 languages that are spoken there in the in the Seattle area. We couldn't possibly do that in the, in the weather service. We don't have the expertise, we don't have the resources. And so we, we rely on our external partners, our organizations and being an ambassador, you are all telling NOAA and the National Weather Service that resilience and safety is a priority. It's a shared goal that we have and the power of the ambassador initiative is we tap your expertise and, you know, facilitate the message through you, right? So if you're a church, we have churches that, you know, you're sitting in the pew, you know, maybe there's a slow time during the, during the program, you open up your church bulletin and we have, you know, churches that put in our winter safety campaign material. What a better time and what a, what a trusted source. It's not coming from government. It's coming from your spiritual leader. 
and so that's how we're able to reach, you know, the deep into the community of being ready, responsive, and resilient. And that's what it's all about. Doug, I have to say those infographics are awesome to use on social media. They've been some of the uh, most popular things that I've taken from there and then kind of put in a little folder for me to go back and dig through when we have big weather events, um, especially some of the more recent ones from the hurricanes and flooding. They, yep. they really did come in handy. Um, question, have you guys found that one type of weather is the hardest to communicate or is there one as a weather-ready nation? I know we're trying to build it for all types of weather, but is there one that either you feel or you've seen that we really need to focus on. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you three. Okay. <laughs> number one, I would, you know, it's like the, the family feud here. Uh, number one, I would say is flooding and it's, it's a common answer. It's, you know, flooding is tremendous amount of damage every year across the country and is, you know, usually the leading cause of death. Uh, and the reason I was, I would say flooding is when you say the word flooding, everyone thinks of, you know, the Mississippi river or the, the river closest to them, you know, spilling over their banks and flooding. Right. But the majority of the danger and the deaths and the damage are from flash flooding and, you know, the underpass of your metropolitan area here in DC, you know, four blocks from the white house floods every time there's an intense rainfall and people still drive into the flooded road. They have to be water rescued. Um, you know, you see on, on the news, you know, the disturbing video of a, of a bus driver, you know, trying to cross a flooded roadway and being swept off and luckily didn't end in tragedy. But how many times do you, do you hear that story? People just don't understand or, appreciate the the power that water can that there you go flowing water can cause to your car and to yourself so that's number one but i want to point out two others one is uh the second one would be rip currents um and rip you know rip currents over the last few years have really caused problems uh there are various reasons for this one uh people are traveling more to the coast from you know interior states they're, they're not as experienced dealing with, with the ocean. They have children who they may seem like great swimmers in a swimming pool, but a swimming pool is you have a known water depth, you have great visibility, you have lifeguards around, and you don't have these wild currents um, and wave action. And so they go and they, you know, they're enjoying their vacation and then tragedy strikes. So rip currents has been a real issue uh, and just overall beach safety. Uh, in the ocean. Number three, and, and this is where I've gotten emotional really over the last, uh, the last season here, and that's hot vehicles. Uh, I have a, if I can share my, my, uh, my screen here, I want to show you this. Can you all see that? Uh, not yet. It still looks like just you. Let's see here. Share. You have, one, you okay. have one monitor or two monitors? Here you go. I got it. All right. Good deal. And now? You're good. You're good. All right. So look at this graphic. It's child vehicle heat stroke deaths, and that's 2018 right there in red. Uh, we've got about, you know, what, 
eight weeks left of uh, 2018. Obviously, we're in a in a you know heading into winter, but we've almost broken the record since 1998. So the last 20 years, we've seen 48 uh, deaths this year, uh, and you can see the trend going uh, going backwards there. But I'm going to unshare. Can I unshare here? There you go. So, you know, National Weather Service, our social media team, we, you know, we're, we're really discouraged with some of the stories that were coming out. So we did a full court press. We had videos. Uh, I did a handheld video mock-up of leaving my own child. She's eight months old right now. Uh, so she was the star of the of the video, made my wife cry uh, when we posted it, uh, you know, sort of on a whim. I'm like, well, you know what? I, I guess I should tweet that the baby is OK because we left the video. I'm walking away. The sun's shining. She's in, in her car seat in the car. And I got people replying, hey, thank you for letting me know that she was OK. And the vitriol that we got in our responses were absolutely incredible. Um, people, you know, vilifying the parents and the guardians who, who leave these children behind and, and people can't come to terms with, you know, you can have a great parent and you can, and you can be an attentive, you know, you can be a helicopter parent and it just takes that one moment you get distracted, the sun's shining, it's hot out. And, and, and boom, your life is, is over. Your life is ruined. Um, and it's happened 48 times this year and it's going to happen more times next year. So how from a, from a weather enterprise, how can all of you, how can all of your viewers, how can we turn the tide? Because it's not, it's not about, you know, yelling and putting these people in jail. It's how do we, get people to be thinking preparedness. What are the, what are the steps people can take putting a little reminder in your car? What can we do? What can the automobile manufacturers be doing? I know, you know, I've never seen a car, but some cars will alert you if, um, you know, there's, there's movement in the car or whatever, but those are 48 tragedies that, that not only, you know, a life is lost, but, the, the, the family is, is, is just torn down and the communities are tough to recover from that. We have hot days. I mean, we put up graphics on our weathercast and we say, hey, you know, this can happen. And people always, like you said, kind of vilify everything and say, hey, that would never happen to me. And I just tell then why do I have to keep reading the stories every single year on this newscast that say oh. the exact same thing? So, and with the rip currents, um, I... I grew up at the beach, so a lot of times now that I live in the mountains, I'll ask people, hey, how do you escape a rip current? And the realm of different answers that I get, including, you know, swim you know, parallel to it, swim straight back, is amazing. Um, I guess if you don't grow up at the beach, like you said, you would never know. But um, it, it is amazing the lack of simple, you know, kind of education, a lot of those things. People put themselves into these risky situations and uh, don't ever think about how to get out of it. You know, tornadoes, hurricanes, and, and rightfully so. They, they are incredible, um, you know, it, it, incredible uh, 
you know, moments in time from Mother, Na Mother Nature, uh, and they're all inspiring. And, you know, we should be talking about tornado safety and hurricane safety. Um, I will say, you know, a couple of years ago, the answer to your question might, might have been storm surge. Uh, and I think that's one successful area. You know, yes, we're not perfect and we haven't, you know, solved the issue. But storm surge, um, especially prior to Michael, you know, we were really making progress uh, on Irma, Maria, um, you know, Florence here, you know, where there weren't any storm surge deaths. And, and part of that may be due to the dynamics of the storm, but we've integrated social science into the um, storm surge products. We've gotten away from text-based, focusing more on, you know, Google Maps and, and, and a graphic. The weather enterprise is taking our data and creating incredible visuals so that people can really conceptualize why it is we need to evacuate. Um, so I would have had storm surge, you know, right, right up there at number one, but, but I think we're, we're making progress on that end. So, so the, the optimistic view is we as meteorological professionals and communicators and, and social scientists, we can work together to, to make a dent in some of these, uh, some of these numbers. Kind of piggybacking off my previous question and, and narrowing it down for the Carolinas, uh, same kind of question. Is there one thing that the Carolinas especially uh, <clears throat> is either poor at educating about or that we have to deal with so much? Obviously, we don't have volcanoes or earthquakes right. as often, uh, with the exception maybe of Charleston, South Carolina. <clears throat> um, and, and is there also a breakdown perhaps of what's better to educate people as or when they're younger? What should we focus on with kids versus what should we focus on with older adults? Very good questions. Uh, gosh, for, for Carolinas, I can tell you, you know, I, I knew I was meant to be in, in Raleigh uh, for grad school. It was 1999. We all remember what was in 1999. So I was in grad school for uh, three or four weeks when Hurricane Floyd hit. And I had always heard about Hurricane Fran as being sort of the benchmark moment along with Hurricane Hazel. Uh, but Floyd was a game changer and was sort of the, you know, the high water mark when it came to flooding in the, the eastern half of North Carolina. And of course, now with with Matthew and, and Florence, um, you know, and so so obviously flooding is, is, a, is a huge risk in, in the Carolinas. Um, I'd also have to say, and it's it's not necessarily um, a, you know, doesn't impact life and property as much, but the the cold air damming that you get in in the Carolinas really difficult to uh, you know forecast the onset and the dissipation of of cold air damming. We still get it here in D.C. Uh, and it seems we're always behind the curve of uh, of cold air damming events. So you know it would be good if if you know the the, the research could could make bigger steps and in cold air damming uh to your to your education I, I, oh go ahead i was gonna say I, I second that about the cold air damming i have to deal with it every every winter and i just hate it, it it's just so worst. so hard it's the worst to forecast and it's it's key to our area as you were talking about even up in dc and it, it's hard for for it to communicate because 
sometimes you want to say they're going to break down quicker and they stick around longer. So it's, it's very hard. So I agree with you on that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the second part of your question on, on education and, you know, what we can, what we can do with kids, you know, first of all, you know, you, you don't want to, especially in this work, you know, this era of hype, um, we don't want to scare children, right? We want them to, to love weather, just like we all love weather. We want them to appreciate, but we want it. We want them to respect weather, uh, much like, you know, in the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts, you know, weather is a, a really uh, big focus on, you know, if you're going out uh, hiking or have an athletic activity, you need to be prepared. You need to know what the weather is going to be like. You need to know how to dress. You need to know, you know, what if conditions change. And so that's, you know, that's part of it. And I think, you know, and this kind of gets to the to one of my main points that I want to convey tonight, which is weather safety preparedness. It's like telling someone to eat their broccoli. Okay. They know it's good for you, but if you, you know, I grew up on boiled broccoli. I, I didn't even get salt from my mom. It was just broccoli and it tastes like just broccoli. And nowadays, you know, my wife will, you know, flash, you know, broil it and she'll put some garlic and some olive oil and some sea salt on it. And all of a sudden broccoli becomes something I want to eat. And I think that's the mentality that we need, whether it's children or adults that we're educating them on weather safety is we need to make it kind of fun. We need to make it less dangerous, but just the smart thing to do. And I think if we can, you know, bring people in to, you know, it's worth your time, it's worth your investment. And, you know, we like to refer to the misery factor, especially with hurricanes, you know, people wanting to stay. If you prepare correctly, whether it's a three hour hike and you're, you're warm and dry instead of cold and wet, um, the misery factor, don't worry, you know, don't scare them into, into losing their life. Have them make those right decisions so that they're enjoying their time and not feeling miserable. Awesome. Uh, so I got a few questions here. Um, really uh, going off a lot of what uh, Ricky was saying, but uh, the Hackleberg tornado, 2011 or 2011, you know, the, same, the same outbreak with Tuscaloosa. Just yeah. kind of curious what the thoughts are, maybe some of the, I guess the local demographics or, you know, the communication challenges that cause the death toll with the Hackleberg and, you know, the Phil Campbell tornado be 72 with over 140 people injured. You know, that's just, it's, it's, it's sad, you know, just want to do a better job to, uh, you know, communicate the risk and messages to everyone better. So, so you, you touch on something interesting and, it, and it's actually, it fits within our weather ready nation effort. And that is, modernizing how we communicate warnings, right? So, you know, and, and we had issues, we haven't even mentioned Joplin, you know, so we had the, you know, the, the Tuscaloosa and the Southeast, and then the very next month, there's Joplin. Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, you could have a, a, a another program, <clears throat> excuse me, on outdoor sirens and NOAA weather radio 
and wireless emergency alerts. Um, what we try to do, and, and you know, again, it, it, it's trying to change the mindset, is don't rely just on your phone nowadays. Don't rely on the outdoor siren that you know you can hear in your first floor, but have that multiple source strategy. Have the no weather radio. Have your cell phone. Know what a wireless emergency alert. Don't you know opt out. Um, have your your commercial apps. They're getting very good. You know we're trying to move. You know we're moving from away from the county-based warnings down to the polygon, and and hopefully. You know, as as our accuracy gets better and better, we'll be able to to you know implement our warn on forecast, um, where it's more of a headlight warning than than uh, than a polygon shapes. That's where we want to go. So you know, the future is brighter than what we had in the past, and you know, it. it I wish I had a better answer. <laughs> No, I, I totally understand because it, it, you know, the social science stuff really interests me, especially with yeah. uh, you know different populations, different portions of the country respond differently, maybe to the same overall objective of a message, but the wording may be different. You know, they're, they're going to respond differently depending on what part of the country you're from. And so, that, to to me, it, it's really interesting. And you know, what I've done here in the Midlands and across this, you know, most of South Carolina, all the people I reach on Facebook, you know, really try to tailor those messages. To, to, to the audience that I know, you know, to the people that uh, I live around, you know, my community, my friends, my family, you know, that I know they understand. And, you know, because, you know, communication is going to be a two way street. And I'm not just communicating to them. I'm also listening to, to their feedback. And, yep. and I think that's something really important that, you know, the entire weather enterprise, uh, you know, maybe could do a little bit better at certain times, especially with some of the wording. Um, just to give you a little bit of background about me, I, I spent 15 years as a firefighter before, you know, doing the weather thing all the time. And uh, I, I was a swift water rescue instructor. And this, the, the water rescue stuff, the swift water rescue with some of these, uh, you know, these urban flood events that we're having is, is absolutely unreal how much danger is in the water that people have no idea about. No idea. I'm going to go, I'm going to share a screen here with you. And I'm just going to show you uh, one little picture here. This, this picture is a house that, during the flooding of 2015, we rescued uh, a, an individual out of the third floor of this house <laughs> when the river came up. It was it was over 20 <laughs> feet of river rise, and uh, we we had to swim to his house. We had to swim over over 200 yards just to get to his house. And then we had to get him out. When we're in the middle of doing this, a Chevy Tahoe comes floating by at about 40 miles an hour, and we have not found it since. But uh, you know, just so, some of the some of the small stuff like that, you know. Mm -hmm taking my life experiences and what I've learned as a professional rescuer and applying that to the weather industry. It's, it's, you know, it's important to me. I just get really passionate about it and, uh, you know, try to share it with others because I think there's a, 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 some really interesting things that we could share back and forth. You know, one of the things I'd really, really like to see a lot more people doing, especially in the floodwater stuff is hitting on the, you know, of course you got the risk from moving water that, that you can be swept yep. away. But to me, maybe it, a bigger underlying risk, especially in those waters that might not be moving so fast is when you see, you know, families, kids, women, children, men, everybody walking around shorts, you know, walking through hip deep flood water. You know, there's so many waterborne pathogens and, and microorganisms, disease, chemical contaminants. Scare them with the snakes. <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. It's, there's so much stuff in the water. Yep. And, uh, 
I, I, I really try to hit hard on those risks anytime there's some kind of local flood event. We well, had dad here in Charlotte walk his kids out into the floodwaters to take a picture in the water with them, and it was rushing yeah. water. I was pretty sure we were about to see a dad and his two kids get washed into a creek. It was horrifying. So, right. so first of all, Chris, uh, would love to, you know, connect and 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 partner. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, like uh, like Scotty was saying earlier, you know, I I joined the Weather Ready Nation program, you know, the ambassador program. I think maybe two years ago. It was right after you know I partnered with NWS Columbia. Yeah. You know, really started to you know convey their message and warnings and stuff like that, and we started to work together. And you know, got a partnership and NWS chat, so able to communicate in real time. I guess outside of the public domain with weather stuff, and you know that's been really great. And now I'm chasing storms all over the southeast and all over the country this year. <laughs> and, so, and so do the same. So, yeah, I want to tie what you're saying and and earlier mention of infographics, right? Because my job right now, I, I I lead the ambassador initiative, but I I work with our social media team. I, I join the social media team when there's a, a high impact event. You know, we we manage the uh, the NWS, you know, sort of the big Kahuna uh, Twitter and Facebook accounts. With I think we're now coming up to 2.8 million followers, and so you know, there's some gravitas to when when we make a post. Um, so this past month with <clears throat> with Hurricane Michael, we knew that the ingredients were there. The, the, this was going to be a wind event. Uh, this was going to be going quickly. So that wind event was going to go further inland than if it was, if it was a, a, a slower hurricane. And so we were looking at, you know, inland Florida panhandle, but then also into Georgia and the threat from trees. Okay. We had never seen or designed ourselves an infographic on the dangers of trees. And I you know, went to our, our infographics designer and I said, I want a graphic on the dangers of trees and how homeowners can make a, a quick decision to save their life, right? And so we, we posted aggressively an infographic on, you know, what rooms with a big tree, where would you, you know, don't sleep in the bedroom with the, the big oak tree right outside your door, right? In a hurricane, go somewhere else, go camp, you know, go down to the lowest level, get away from those risks. And it's, it's, it's weird. I, I felt weird doing it because here we are, you know, equating trees to being something bad, you know, they're always good. And, you know, the, the first death, the first two deaths that we came across after Michael were, you know, it was like a, a father and a, and a, you know, 12 year old girl who died from a tree on their house. Um, that's the messaging where I want to go for the weather enterprise and where we're going with, with Weathering Nation, it's these nuanced messaging. You can't just say, you know, hurricanes are bad, you know, you gotta be prepared for the wind. You gotta dive in, why is wind a threat? It's not really the projectile that's gonna hit you. It's things that are, that you look at every day and and it's that that big tree, you know, or why, why 
Why go driving when you don't have to? How many people, you know, how many cars, how many stories do you hear of cars either hitting or having a, a tree fall on them? So it's opening people's eyes, as you say, to the dangers. And that it brings me back to the flooding. People do not equate a flooded road with I'm putting my life in danger. Yeah, and you know that you're exactly right. Exactly right. And that that's something I, I'm going to continue to work on as long as I possibly can, you know, um, and I, I think something else, and I think it's kind of taboo and I, I don't want to really make it weird in here, but, you know, I think uh, sometimes, uh, you know, if we recognize the risk is going to be really, really high, I don't see a problem as long as the risk is warranted of telling people, if you don't leave, you could die. I mean, just put in that point blank and simple. I mean, you know, just, Tell them the message as it is, you know, and not really just beating around the bush. Be be direct and be be real and be accountable about it. You know, if there's a risk, communicate the risk. And uh, you know, like you said, uh, people want details. And if you if you have these ro robotic messages, you know, that really don't seem personable or have a tailored message, I found that you know, with the posts I've made, people aren't very responsive engagement. And engagement's low on those posts. People really like when you go into the details of why something's happening or what the risk is. And then they can see themselves more in that situation. And then it's like, wait a minute, they're talking to me and not. Absolutely. You know, the, you know, the fluffy stuff, but you're, you're targeting these details and, you know, then they start thinking about it. You know, that, right. that's, that's dressing up the broccoli to taste good uh, is really humanizing it. And because I'll tell you, and, and you may think this is a shocking statement, uh, but I tell I tell our social media team all the time, you know, we are we are broccoli sellers and we think weather is the most awesome thing ever. And we think weather safety is the most important thing on people's plates. You know, it isn't they have, you know, think of your own life. People have so much more to worry about than their tree in their yard falling over and, and landing on their house. They have totally other agree. things. And, and we saw it, I think with Florence, you know, compare Florence and, and Michael Florence. We knew Florence was kind of coming, you know, 10 days in advance. Like it was out there in the ocean and it was taking its time and people saw it and they wrapped their arms around it. Like, okay, we're not taking the kids to soccer this weekend. Michael, was a quick moving, quick forming storm. It, it happened over a holiday weekend. Um, I sounded the alarm with, with our team on Sunday. I pretty much worked all day Monday, which was Columbus day, but you know, everyone else is having a good time, um, you know, down in the Gulf and our, our forecast offices down there are peppering the messaging that, you know, we're not going to have, seven days to just watch this, you know, move through the Gulf, that this was going to be a quick hitter. And I don't think people, number one, I think they underplay, wow, it's going to be a, you know, category four, almost category five storm. But I don't, people need time to social, you know, to, to wrap their brain around. I need to change decisions. I need to board up my house. I need to leave. And when they only have a day to do it, that's a problem. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, I don't want to take up all, I know some of the other guys have uh, other questions, want to get to them, but, uh, you know, I totally agree with it. You know, one last little thing, uh, like you were talking about, you know, people don't really, I guess, accept the fact that that could happen to them. You know, one of the resounding things I remember back in 2015, being about 20 guys, we rescued 192 people in 48 hours. And, uh, the, you know, in, in the, I guess, the transit time back between houses and vehicles and, and to where dry land were, where we were, you know, taking everyone, you know, just communicating, showing a little bit of compassion, just get to know folks. One of the things I always ask, ask people was, uh, you know, in a, in a very polite and, and open manner, but, uh, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you leave? And why, why, why didn't you go elsewhere? You know, and it, most everybody said, you know, we saw the water and, you know, we kind of went on about our lives and our, you know, doing what we got to do. And we come back and it was, you know, three feet in our house. So, yep. yeah, I, I'd love to have a talk. Yes, you know, please. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, whoever's next, y'all go ahead. Thanks. Thanks so much. Yep. Question. I know we kind of circled the infographics. Um, we've seen a lot of these shorter videos. I climate central produces some for us that are really yep. cool. 15 to 30 second videos. Is there any thought of doing that to where, uh, you know, it's kind of a shorter, video that we can then share on social Instagram, places like that. Yes. And we, um, we're doing it. Uh, and I can definitely highlight, you know, the weather rain nation sites, there, our social media feed. Uh, and it's definitely where we're going to more of in the future. It's, you know, we, we did it with the hot vehicle, um, sort of campaign this, this summer where, you know, we had three or four videos lined up, um, depending on, uh, the nuance of messaging, you know, the, the, the other thing I, I hate just to take a sidetrack here, but the, um, with hot vehicles, it's not just leaving your children behind. It's your children at an age where they can open the door. Uh, we've seen all these stories of kids, you know, they left their, their toy, their, their baseball in the car. The cars have the child lock. So they're able to open it up, get inside, door closes behind them, they can't get out. But because they're young, they're, they don't have a sense of danger. They just think someone's gonna come get them. And you know, it's, it's the, you know, the slow temperature rise, you know, and then, then bad things happen. But it's, it's, the un, you know, it's, it's the parent or the guardian doesn't even know that the child's in the, in the car. And so we, we've messaged, we, we took a message on that because people just don't realize that. So <clears throat> these videos are quick hitters and, and it's where we're going to be going. Uh, people do like, you know, people on social media, they like to watch a video they like, you know, but it's gotta be 15, 30 seconds. You know, they, they, they don't watch the, uh, you know, the two minute uh, infomercial on something. So that's what we're trying to do. Okay, I thought James was gonna jump in here. James, are you? Yep, okay, I'm here, ahead. sorry. I was uh, looking for some of those infographics we were talking about and uh, missed the cue to jump on in. Uh, Douglas, what I was going to ask here as we come past the 9 o'clock hour on our live show is how folks can get involved with your program. How do they become weather-ready ambassadors? Great. So first nuance is that the Weather Aid Nation Ambassador Initiative targets organizations. And we, we define organizations kind of loosely. 
um, but we don't recognize, you know, individuals. So if you're just want to be, you know, I want to be an ambassador, we have other citizen science opportunities for, for people to contribute to building a weather aid nation. So if you are representing an organization and it can be, you know, a small community <clears throat> organization, it could be a school, it could be fire, police, um, you know, or just your employer, uh, there's a website, it's weather.gov slash WRN. You'll see the, the ambassador tab at the top. It's got all the information you need. It's got, and I'll uh, share my screen real quick. Let's do this. And here's all 8,500 plus ambassadors. There's the Carolinas right there. Um, but it goes alphabetically, so you can see, you know, some of the notable, you know, Fortune 500 companies. We have Starbucks, we have Costco, uh, we have Northrop Grumman, we have Raytheon, we've got IHOP. Um, we've got some great organizations at the national level, at the local level. We've got national parks. Um, and so that's the beauty of these ambassadors is it, it's, it's not that you have to be weather related, but weather impacts us all. And so when we talk about community resilience, you have a contribution. So if anyone listening here is like, this doesn't apply to me, think again, it does. And so if you go up to the uh, ambassador tab, it says become an ambassador. It is for a government program. It is user friendly. There's not a lot of pain involved. Uh, we ask you to do four things, which is share uh, weather safety information, engage with us on uh, partnering and collaboration. Uh, the way I like to, 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 you know, paint the picture to people, we create the buffet and then you're able to pick what opportunities you want to engage in. Um, one of my favorite opportunities for ambassadors is our Safe Place Selfie campaign. So coming up uh, in the in the March April timeframe, as we enter sort of you know the, the severe weather season, is we want people to take a picture of them in their safe place, and that could be in their basement, in their shelter, it could be in their car if it's lightning that they're escaping from. It shouldn't be your car if you're escaping from a tornado or you're escaping a flood. Um, and so we try, you know, we're trying to get people to think. The number one preparedness action, what can you take? Is find your safe place. So here's our safe place selfie. So it, that, that's just one dish on our, our table, our, our buffet table. And ambassadors are able to engage when they want, how they want to. Uh, and it really is, is it's grassroots. Um, and, you know, you can, you can contribute as much or as modestly as you want but there's always a con contribution that, that all of our ambassadors do, which is share the goal of weather preparedness. All right, well, that, that sounds good. Uh, Doug, we haven't even scratched the surface of things we are wanting to talk about. Um, I would love to have you back on the show. Maybe we can talk about that once we end the show tonight. Uh, one thing I would like maybe is we could quickly, uh, as we close, we could quickly talk about 
Uh, it, it does look like we're going to have a big uh, outbreak of cold air, which could be followed by uh, some snow in some locations. So um, before uh, we kind of end our topic tonight and you uh, give um, the best ways to follow you on social media, uh, can you talk maybe about some quick win wintertime preparations that uh, Absolutely. guys are really starting to, to hit on as we get into this winter weather uh, season? So, so my first plug is on December 1st, uh, let's see, about three, three weeks and change, uh, we'll be launching our winter weather safety campaign. We do it on the first of every meteorological start of every meteorological season. So December 1st is our winter campaign. Its focus is going to be on, on winter driving safety. So we've got some incredible looking, uh, infographics, uh, from a scientific point of view and from the national weather service, we're going to be, um, starting a brand new warning, uh, this season, which is our snow squall warning. Uh, and this was, is sort of the equivalent of a severe thunderstorm warning in the, in the off winter seasons where visibility is going to go from blue sky to zero very quickly. Uh, and then back to blue sky, you know, 20, 30 minutes later. And so it's, it's, uh, it's something that our, our weather enterprise partners were really hoping we would do we've tested it out and uh you know that will be great to see uh, especially in the northeast midwest around the great lakes um so we'll have we'll have all of the that content on december 1st um but you know when it comes to cold and when it comes to you know winter weather again it's 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 not okay to be in the wrong place at the wrong time our our forecasts are good and are getting better and uh you know that that empowerment of knowing the weather conditions knowing how things can change um you can really shape your your day and your your plans around around the weather and so that's that's the big thing is take advantage of the weather enterprise whether it's the national weather service whether it's you know, podcasts like this and whether it's, um, you know, a cell phone, you know, how much information do you get fed by your, your cell phone? That's empowerment when it comes to weather preparedness. Um, I invite everybody to check out our Weather Ready Nation site. Uh, if you're familiar with FEMA and ready.gov, it's basically, you know, weather.gov and our weather ready nation site is much like FEMA has their website and they're ready.gov. So it's, it's uh, got incredible amounts of content and I definitely will take you up on an offer to return back. I, I appreciate, uh, I, I definitely want to have part two and part three and part four. <laughs> hey, listen, we would love to, I would love to do, I mean, I know I haven't even got halfway through what we want to talk about. So uh, maybe we can plan that after the show, but uh, for our followers, listeners, I, you talked about the website. If they want to maybe follow on social media, yes. how can they do that? Maybe even follow you on social media. Absolutely. So for me personally, I am at DC Weather Brand, uh, but uh, I also am on the social media team for our NWS uh, big account. And I'm also the, uh, the, the person behind the at WRN Ambassadors. And so on that account, we share all the infographics, we share all the weather preparedness tips, 
and we share success stories, much like uh, this podcast. We, uh, we show great ideas to other people so that they can um, be innovative as well and, and, and contribute to the, the best of their abilities. All right, Douglas, we appreciate it. Stick around if you want to. Uh, Absolutely. Toss it quickly to our buddy, Chris Jackson. Uh, Chris, I'm not honestly surprised you're, you're awake with us. Uh, I know uh, <laughs> it's been a very uh, busy couple of days, so we'd love for you to uh, kind of recap. Uh, thankfully, let's, let's preface, preface that as we were expecting severe weather here in the Carolinas. That really didn't pan out, thankfully for us, but not so good for our friends and in Alabama and Tennessee and Mississippi and Louisiana, and you was down there in the midst of it. So tell us what you saw. Yeah, absolutely, Scotty. And uh, thanks again, Doug, for coming on. Uh, just like Scotty said, we'd love to have you back. But uh, yeah, I went down to Birmingham Sunday night, uh, got ready to do, uh, uh, I guess, chase this event uh, Monday. Left out of Birmingham Monday, went over to Starkville, then uh, picked up uh, my chase partner for the trip. And uh, was, uh, one of Mississippi State's meteorology students and one of my friends, Marty Calhoun, and uh, she's actually a local from central Mississippi and uh, volunteered to, to come along with me and, and, and really navigate, provide me with some local knowledge. And also it was really awesome getting to uh, see some of the Mississippi State's sounding data in real time as they were launching them. Uh, that, you know, that was, that was awesome. <laughs> it's not every day you get out chasing when you can actually, you know, have local sounding data. Um, most times it's just based off models. But uh, anyways, whenever to Greenville, Mississippi, which is around the uh, Mississippi, uh, Arkansas uh, line around the Mississippi River, and then went uh, southwest, a storm started to fire, you know, that big wedge tornado down in uh, Louisiana, uh, headed down toward uh, that tornado and was going to intercept it and got within about mm, 20 miles of it after driving an hour <laughs> just south of, uh, oh gosh, Tallulah, Louisiana, and and the storm weakened rapidly. It went from you know producing a wedge tornado to uh, about 10 drops of rain on my hood in about 40 minutes. It was pretty pretty remarkable to see. Then uh you know after that met up with some other chasers. Uh, uh, some of the guys I know for a while. I've got to meet them, uh, Brett Adair and a couple other folks. So it was really really fun times. Uh, as the night went on, you know by midnight got back up into Central Mississippi as the uh, that that QLCS approach. You know big big squall line and. Uh, was a little late getting to the show just because we we're down in Louisiana, but uh, by midnight we we're back up uh, just north of Mineola, I believe it is, in, in Mississippi. And uh, just as the, the tornado went through Tupelo, uh, I was about 20 miles away, 30 miles away from that, and uh, just didn't. I knew I was too far behind to catch up with that. But I was watching another storm down to my southwest, and uh, it actually went tornado warned. Gosh, not even 10, 15 minutes later, and uh, you know, 10 minutes later we're sitting right in front of. The storm letting it pass right in front of us and you know seeing some power flashes and stuff and you know it, it uh, cycled over starkfield then you know once it got east of starkville i saw today that nws uh office out of jackson had put a preliminary storm report of it was an es0 and it was on the ground for about six miles and uh, right near the intersection of uh what was that? i think it's us highway 45 and 25 but uh it was good it was good, and, and that storm actually cycled and put down, I know at least one other confirmed tornado was an EF1 just east of uh, Millport. <laughs> I was pretty close to that one, and uh, after that, cell service uh, began it began becoming an issue really fast. Uh, I guess that area of extreme eastern Mississippi and western uh, Alabama, northwest of Tuscaloosa, there's nothing. There's no cell service whatsoever with a, with a pretty poor road network. So after that was over, it was a long day, decided to call it a day, but it was, 
it was a good, good time, good trip. I was, I'm glad I was able to, you know, get pretty darn close to, to I know three tornadoes. So, you know, being able to relay the reports to the, the field offices, I know helped those guys out uh, tremendously. But uh, yeah, great. Five days, or no, I'm sorry, five states, 1,100 miles, and a you know, handful of tornadoes. That's our storm chaser, everyone. That was a busy, a busy time for you, Chris. We're glad that you're safe. And, uh, you know, we're all jealous as you're sending us messages in our internal chat, wishing that we were out there with you. But I'm uh, definitely glad you're safe out there. And I know uh, your information really helped a lot of folks out. So, right. Uh, yeah. We appreciate well, that. One other thing, Scotty, and, and for the weather weenies out there, something really, really interesting the other night with those storms. And, uh, you know, and it, I know I've seen the studies. I know you guys have too, but uh, there was hardly no lightning with that that system, you know, mainly because it was a fall system and, you know, a lot of the dynamics aren't there. But uh, every time those storms cycled and produced a tornado, you know, right around the time of tornado genesis, there would all, almost every time we saw that night, there would be five to 10 lightning strikes in the two to three minute time frame before it happened. You know, seeing that happen and, and watching the correlation, that was absolutely remarkable and uh, just, just something really neat. It's definitely cool to see something that we learn about and then you actually see it in person uh pan out that's that's really neat but thanks uh chris for that and uh glad you're safe uh shay i'm going to toss it to you i know uh we are closing down the hurricane season so your attention still on the tropics but also watching what could be developing a uh, el nino I, I think we're under el nino watch now but yeah, you were looking earlier that might be changing soon yeah, that's right, Scotty. So uh, once again, just like the last time, it looks like um, things are pretty quiet in the tropics. There's no uh, no systems to be to be watching at this point. The Atlantic Basin looks fairly quiet. Waters are starting to cool. The, the shelf waters along the southeast region, all the way down eastern Florida, are starting to cool significantly. We're getting down into the 60s. So uh, these these waters will not support any kind of tropical system along our coast. Possibly subtropical. It doesn't look like anything's going to be forming. The Gulf is cooling down as well. Even the eastern North Pacific is starting to become less and less active as time goes on. I think their last storm was Xavier, so they're they're going into the Greek alphabet on their next storm, I believe. Uh, but uh, that's the Atlantic Basin. Uh, we do look at El Nino Watch. This was the full INSO report from October 11th. The next full report will be coming out soon in the next few days. Uh, but we do know that the last report that came out on the 5th Still had El Nino watch. Uh, one thing we, we talk about El Nino and, and La Nina is, is the heating and the cooling of the equatorial Pacific Ocean waters. And specifically in one Nino region, 3.4 is what most of the ENSO basis is from. And we call normally for a 0.5 degree Celsius higher than normal average for a lengthy period of time. And it's been over that uh, for quite some time now. Uh, now, will they issue an El Nino watch this early? Uh, before winter, which was forecast. We're not entirely sure yet, but uh, looking at this and looking at the other regions and the heating that's going on, it could be actually coming right before winter wintertime, uh, but it's it's really hard to say until they actually uh, let us know what's going on. So that, that's um, definitely something to consider. I'm trying to see where I had, I think I replaced those graphics. You may have to come back around to me on this one, but I had the, um, I had the, the graphic up for what the El Nino means for the country, and basically it means a little bit wetter and a little bit cooler for the southeast, lee side of the mountains, a little bit drier up towards the Ohio Valley. Uh, but that's a general 
kind of general statement and every El Nino is a little bit different. Depends on its uh, amplitude, right? So we look at a lot of different things. How strong is this El Nino? What are the teleconnections from the Pacific, maybe from super typhoons in the far Western Pacific transferring over to the, uh, the United States? But yeah, this has this teleconnection does have something to do with our cold air or our, our Arctic plunge coming up next week. So, you know, we're watching that, but as far as the tropics are concerned, things look really quiet. I think uh, it's not safe to say we're gonna transition right out of the hurricane season just yet because there's still a couple of areas of warm waters, especially in the Caribbean and the Southern Gulf of Mexico, but we'll be watching those very closely. Back to you, Scotty. All right, thank you for that, Shane. To kind of wrap up our weather headlines, I'm gonna to toss it to Ricky Matthews. And Ricky, uh, obviously we were just talking about winter time and uh, we have a big old slug, uh, uh, a big slug, I don't know what you would call it, but it's, it's cold Whole air. Coming, coming this way. The, 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 purple, the purple Barney. Cold right. air coming our way. Barney yeah, Barney's coming our way. and uh, We might be seeing that dreaded four-letter S word coming our way, too, at least for some portions of the area. Yeah, and maybe what I say when I walk outside on Tuesday, too, with temperatures that uh, drop down into the 40s and 30s. But, yeah, a lot of cold air swinging its way down into the uh, eastern part of the United States, depending on what model you believe. Uh, one of the models has us getting up into the 70s on some days here and uh, kind of an upper level load developing. So we'll see it's at a long range still to where we're has a good amount of uncertainty associated with it. But there is the potential, I think, next week for some uh, cooler weather and uh, maybe even some mountain snow for the Appalachians, parts of West Virginia, maybe parts of Western Virginia. Ski slopes having uh, some fun with that if it materializes and maybe the first decent accumulations uh, for parts of the Appalachians as we go into next week. That's right. And uh, besides that, rain and uh, two rain-making systems for the Carolinas uh, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, and then again Monday, Tuesday of next week. So with that, we'll quickly do uh, Tweets of the Week's uh, Tweet of the Week because I've seen James had already shared his out. Uh, so we can do that, and then mm -hmm. we'll wrap up. So, uh, James, you want to go ahead and share yours? Yeah, this actually goes along nicely with what uh, Chris was just talking about, because while he was a little bit further to the south, uh, this is a look at that same line as it made its way across Tennessee. You were looking at a tweet I put out a little bit earlier. I'm going to put it into motion here in just a second uh, to actually show you. This comes from the, the Radar Scope app, so you can actually see there. there is a pin that says Tim. That's where my friend uh, lives there in Murfreesboro, just south of Nashville. And if you're used to looking at radar signatures of tornadoes, especially on the right-hand side where we're looking at those winds that fall Velocity, you can actually count at one point or another here uh, three different areas of circulation. The polygons don't update, but there was one to his south, there was one that skimmed him to the north, and then one that got going to his east. So I was on the phone with him, and you know it's a good reminder that uh, when you're watching uh, severe weather, if it's not in your neck of the woods, but it's happening where you have a friend or a loved one, give them a ring. That's exactly what we did. We talked through it on the phone, monitored it, and make sure that he was all safe. Because at one point, guys, he was in four tornado polygon tornado warning polygons at once. So it was a little bit of a busy night across the southeast scotty it was and i, th I think a majority of those I, I saw earlier today october 31st was the largest tornado day uh this year in the united states with the majority of those tornadoes occurring after 9 p.m so uh, it's been a very busy week uh tornado tornado wise with halloween outbreak and or, and then the, the tornadoes from this week so uh definitely an uptick in severe weather, which fall is the uh, second peak of severe weather season, so not totally unexpected. So uh, let's see. Uh, see, Jared's got his up. So, Jared, I'll let you uh, go ahead and do your tweet of the week. 
Yeah, thanks, Scotty. So this one uh, comes from uh, the town of Mount Pleasant, Mount Pleasant government. Uh, tomorrow uh, at the National Guard Armory on Mathis Ferry Road, we're going to have a little event called Be Flood Ready. And I say it like that. You got to have the, you have to have the pregnant pauses there because it's periods. Uh, so we're going to talk about, you know, uh, flood awareness. Flooding is, a, you know, is a big, uh, it, it was a, actually a big con- point of conversation in our recent um, uh, local elections here, uh, from elections to just it, everything else. You know, everything seems to revolve around flooding. In fact, we may see some coastal flooding later this week. Um, due to the king tides and so uh so yeah so what we're gonna do is just gonna have a bunch of experts and me um talking with the public about you know flood preparedness and getting good weather information and uh just uh, how to become more resilient you know doing that kind of ambassador thing like we've been talking about uh tonight there's a lot of uh, weather ready nation ambassadors that are going to be at this so it's going to be a it's going to be a good event look forward to having uh seeing some of you out there 4 30 7 30 at the national guard armory on mathis ferry road in mount pleasant Sounds like a fun event to be at. Uh, maybe Jared, you can uh, send us a little report or some pictures or something at least pass along on our social media. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, so, Ricky, I see you have yours uh, pulled up, so I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty powerful image from uh, the Florida Panhandle. You know, we got some beautiful fall color in uh, North Carolina and parts of Virginia and Tennessee. Obviously, not many trees left in parts of Florida, and uh, there's a lot more blue tarp showing up than anything else. Uh, so a lot of people still dealing with the aftermath of Michael. I know uh, there's been some stories out of eastern North Carolina, people literally living in tents still uh, in the aftermath of Hurricane Florence. So you know, a lot of times we kind of cover these stories for a while, and then uh, the national media pulls out, but the aftermath remains for a long amount of time uh, after the storms, winds subside, and the flooding goes away. So. Definitely. So that's a somber sight there. And unfortunately for Eastern North Carolina and Florida, you know, they've even been dealing with more rain threats, you know, nothing like the hurricanes that came through, but still uh, any rain is, is devastating at this point with all the roof damage and stuff like that. So uh, Chris, I think you have yours up. So I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, absolutely, Scotty. So I got to, mine's a non-tweet of the week. Mine's a Facebook of the week. Uh, that t- I told Jared I got dibs on this one the other night on Facebook. <laughs> But, uh, you know, this one comes from the National Weather Service Aviation Weather Center. And, uh, you know, it's uh, a pilot took these uh, this picture of Kelvin Helmholtz clouds. And uh, most of the time we only get to see them from the ground. You know, it looks like this nice big standing wave train. And, you know, seeing that everybody is on a big aviation buff and, and, and throw it on top of weather. And you know, it's like winter, winter chicken dinner. You know, see, <laughs> seeing that's really awesome. Uh, you really get a true, true sense of. Uh, you know the scale and and the the makeup of the, of you know, Kelvin Helmholtz ways and really awesome. Very cool. Yeah, I saw a lot of photos on social media in the past couple of days about that. So uh, really cool. Uh, Shay, do you have one? Yeah, I was I was trying to find it. Um, All right, I'll I decided, do. Mine. I decided to change. Uh, yeah, I mean I've got it right here. I decided okay. to change change mine uh, because I did want to touch on the tornado activity that hit. Florida, the Tampa Bay area, just north of Tampa Bay. There were five reported tornadoes. This one was a reported tornado from Mike Boylan of Mike's weather page. Uh, it has not been confirmed as a tornado, although when you, when looking at radar, it looks like it could have been a rain wrap rotation within a very strong microburst or even a macroburst that went across Tampa Bay and um, slammed into portions of Oldsmar, Florida. Um, so you can see here a picture of his umbrella that he had. He was underneath the structure across the, the field there, uh, underneath the uh, canopy watching this come in. 
And um, he had to end up running to his car, but his umbrella stuck into the tree. And uh, there were down trees in the area and some damages to some of the property at that particular park that he was at. But just just a um, another interesting feature, you know, that just these little objects like this, you know, even in high wind events, straight line wind events, it doesn't have to be a tornado. It can be any wind event that things like this can fly through the air. And if it's able to stick into a tree two inches into a palmetto tree or a palm tree, just think of how deadly that can be for a human being. So. Uh, when, and this this goes hand in hand with weather ready nation and uh, safety. So for folks that are uh, storm chasing, like Mike was doing, uh, be aware that uh, don't have loose objects around probably. Uh, and um, but yeah, just a shout out to Florida for the the uh, tornadic activity that they had a couple of days ago. Back to you, Scotty. All right, thank you for that, Shay. And uh, this is my tweet of the week. This is from the National Weather Service in Brownsville, Texas. I thought this was a little unique, but also kind of a weather ready nation thing. Uh, this is talking about watching for pelicans on Friday and Saturday with the changing weather conditions. Uh, it kind of brings uh, pelicans out, and uh, they are on the uh, roadways going into Brownsville, Texas. So uh, the National Weather Service there in Brownsville uh, kind of putting out this uh, message to uh, watch out for that as uh, this Friday and Saturday come up. So uh, they wanted uh, motorists to be advised of that. So. Uh, just another way the weather service is able to uh, give out information, not only dealing with the weather, but weather related things. And uh, so that's uh, my tweet of the week. Now, James, the they're, they're forecasting pelicans now? Uh, yeah, I guess so. They're, uh, they're from the pelican move or something like that. So. Hey, we, I, I guess we, we save ahead. lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The safest thing to do is to respect the pelican polygon. That's right. <laughs> Yes. James, that is the most con, you know, consultant-based life impact graphic I've ever seen in my life, and that's going to make it into my weathercast if I'm down there in Brownsville this weekend. <laughs> yeah, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. I saw that just a few uh, few hours ago, so I wanted to share that. So again, uh, thank you for watching the Carolina Weather Group. Next Wednesday night, we have Melissa Griffin on from the uh, climatologist office in South Carolina. She's going to be talking about what she kind of does and also her work with Kokoros. So uh, we're interested to uh, hear about that. And as we uh, close out uh, November, we'll be off the next week for Thanksgiving. But the uh, the 28th of November, we're going to be talking about the red tide that has been affecting uh, much of the Florida um, Gulf Coast area. So uh, be sure to uh, tune in for that. So for everyone here at the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe out there and bundle up, getting ready for this uh, cold blast of air to move into the area. I guess it's finally to stay. It is about winter time, so I guess it's got to come around. Anyway, we hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather.